Welcome to Tag Talks Happy Hour with Ajit Kara. One part small talk, all parts real talk. This is the part of the day when Ajit gets to know the people behind the job titles at Tag. Hello, my name is Ajit Kara and welcome to my podcast. I decided to do this series of podcasts because I believe TAG has the best people in the world. They're our biggest asset. And I want to do a series of conversations with folks to understand what makes them tick and why I feel so passionate about our biggest asset, which is our people. Uh, I'm delighted today that I'm joined by Megan Jackman, uh, who's a solutions director. So I'm looking forward to having a conversation with Megan. As always, this podcast is produced by Kaylee Stansfield. Kaylee, how are you? I'm well, Ajit. How are you doing today? Pretty good. What's uh, new with you this week? What's new? You know what? I've been doing, I've been paying a bit more attention to my sleep hygiene. And this was uh, something that, um, that I've been working on for about a week. One of the first things I did, and this has been absolutely life-changing, is switch off the notifications button on my Outlook app on my phone. Because I found that when I woke up in the morning, whatever hour that was, I would grab my phone and there would be emails, emails, emails that came in overnight. And now it's just a clean slate. So I have control over when I access my emails, my work emails, which is just terrific. And I hope other employees do it. Well, it's when you said sleep hygiene, I thought you meant you brush your teeth before you go to bed. <laughs> I definitely do that. <laughs> but I also play meditation music and, and all that kind of good stuff. So just adding one more thing to the mix. I just go straight to sleep. I sleep like a baby with about nine seconds. Megan? Welcome to my podcast. Thank you very much. Good morning. For the audience, it's, it's clearly late afternoon. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case my wife is listening and thinks I start drinking at 11am in the morning. But, um, 11pm, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah, We're sorry. 11pm. Exactly, 11pm. So thank you for joining me today, Megan. Um, you, folks will tell you you're clearly not from the US, you have a British accent, but where are you from? Yeah, I'm from a beautiful village just outside of Dartford on the border of South East London and North West Kent and also borders Essex, which is where I get this dulcet times of this hybrid um, Estrian accent. There you go. Well, I, you know, folks won't tell from this wonderful accent, but I'm an Essex boy. You know. <laughs> are you? Yeah, my... my, my uh, <laughs> My wife reminds me continually that I'm an Essex boy, you know. Okay, just for everyone else to know that George is an Essex boy. <laughs> Ajit does not sound like an Essex boy. I'm so <laughs> shocked at that. I was schooled maybe slightly, slightly North Londonish. But anyway, welcome. So you were brought up in the, uh, in the South East London. Tell me about your childhood. Oh, it was lovely. I absolutely couldn't fault it. I'm very lucky to say that and know how lucky I am to have that. Beautiful parents, five sisters. Oh, sorry, four sisters. There's five of us, no boys. Everyone says lucky dad. No. I feel sorry for you. No. Does he drink a lot? (laughs) Yeah, family of big drinkers might be where I get it from. I actually think I drink the least out of my family, which says a lot. And um, we had plenty of lodgers growing up, lots of waif and strays. Like we often joke, it's a halfway house for anyone who needs a place to go. And it's a finishing school at the end, like come in, come in a bit broken and then leave the other end. It's like it's one of five is a lot. You're the youngest, are you? No, I'm in the middle. You're in the middle. I <laughs> No middle child syndrome there. No, yeah. not at all. <laughs> not at all desperate to be heard. <laughs> when did you start buying your own clothes? Because I assume you never had your own clothes for a long time. Oh, no. I mean, my poor sister wardrobes got absolutely destroyed <laughs> and it's funny now being um, when I go home and I'm the victim of sister stealing uh, wardrobe whatever that is 
And yeah, I get my clothes pinched all the time. When I come back to the States, I'm like, hey, who's got my X, Y, and Z? <laughs> oh, I just borrowed that. Yeah, even this So you're still close. And what, um, are you the only person that left the UK? Yeah, gosh, yeah, I am. Yeah, the only one out here. I'm fascinated about some of your earlier careers because you're quite a lively person. So tell me about the kind of, you know, you, you had a, a first job at a police station, which I find quite amusing, actually. <laughs> Yes. So when I left school at 18, I was like, oh, I don't want to go to university yet. I'm going to save up to go traveling and start doing these temping jobs. I had one temp job as a stamp licker, literally <laughs> to lick stamps at a school for like a thousand envelopes. Um, you, you know they have water for that. <laughs> well, yes, I did know after, I don't know, about three, four hours, whenever it was my lunch break. And so I said, oh, how are you getting on? I was like, God, my tongue's so dry. I've licked like so many stamps this morning. And then they explained what said sponge was. Um, so that was one of the worst M- Meanwhile, you were dehydrated. <laughs> I had one bottle of Lucozade, which shows how young it was, like an energy drink, um, I guess like a half a bottle of Gatorade and, and was like, oh my gosh, I, how is my tongue so dry? Anyway, yes, I'd gone from doing that and... I think that's why we employed you, because on your resume it said stamp liquor. Stamp liquor, that's and we it. we thought we've got to employ someone that was a stamp liquor. <laughs> yeah, it was my first job. Um, but yeah, they'd said to me, oh, do you want to go and work at a police station? I was like... Oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't know. The first thing on the forums, like, do you know anyone who's been arrested? And you're like, oh, mm, <laughs> do you want to answer that question? And so I was a bit nervous and they doubled the minimum wage at the time as in like four pounds an hour, which about five bucks. And then when they pretty much doubled it, I was like, oh, well, I'll give up all morals and then to go and work. <laughs> well, not morals, but um, I guess. Nervousness. Pre- yeah, nervousness. And I had some preconceived judgments I guess over the police and how strict they would be and how you know I thought it'd be like joining the military going to work there and actually it was such a lovely place with beautiful welcoming people and I felt really I was going to say safe there but no not at all (laughs) it was in Dartford and Gravesend which is like notoriously rubbish and there was no like screen between you it's like literally you in the front desk and a back office but it was lovely you know I went in there and had a lovely time did they tease you oh (laughs) All the time. So, yes, when I worked there, I was in charge of the tannoy. Like, this is how old school the building was. Like, this was, everything was written down on paper with, you know, the carbon paper in between oh. the two sheets of paper so you get two copies Showing your age now, yeah. <laughs> People think I'm so young. Oh, no, no. actually, don't say that. <laughs> Um, yeah, so they were teasing me all the time. They'd ring down on the phone and say, oh, Megan, uh, PC Bendover's here. Can you do a tannoy? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, hello. It's Megan speaking. It's PC Bendover in the building. And do all these tartan paint. They got me done over with tartan paint. Like, Megan, can you do a tannoy? Quick, quick, the contractors in the yard are tartan painting the front drive or whatever. I'm like, could the contractors in the yard please immediately stop painting with the tartan paint, you know? All, all the time. But then I, I like to think that I quickly got wise to it, but probably not. But there was one much more funnier incident, which was maybe not funny, but a bit gruesome. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> I mean, it's funny to look back on it now. But at the time, I was like 8pm at night, it's pitch black outside. And this guy comes in with a bin bag and hands me a dead cat. 
in a bin bag and it's like hi I found this dead cat and here you go thank you and <laughs> thanks for taking it I was like oh okay and you know you have to receive it in the hands in I was like what on earth do I do and I'm 18 at a front desk of a police station like oh, I don't know so I take this bin bag out the back and I say to this officer hi I've just been handed a dead cat what do I do and he probably jokingly was like, oh, just check it into Lost and Found. <laughs> so I took that super literally. And it, like this is how long ago it was with the books where I checked in, in the Lost and Found so book, funny. pen and paper, black cat, brackets, black and white, because I had a peak. <laughs> and then just checked it in, didn't even think about it, putting the Lost and Found, was like, right, okay, well, I'll carry on with the rest of my evening. It made me months later... The, I came into work and all over the police station, someone had photocopied the front page of this newspaper. And the local newspaper had done this story on the funniest things that had been handed in to Gravesend Police Station. And one of those, well, the headline was Dead Cat. <laughs> the strangest thing to be handed in to the police station. So, of course, everyone was coming down to the front office or the back office, like, who on earth signed in a dead cat into the lost and found? And of course, your name or your, your identification number is next to it. So everyone knew it was me. And then they, you know, brought in black and white cat right. teddies, blah, blah, blah. You do realize that I suspect that you're slightly susceptible to pranks. And so your colleagues are probably going to start pranking you now. Well, I've. <laughs> I don't think I've got wise. I've got them out of the way. But I do love thinking of a good prank on April Fool's and I can never think of one that's harmless enough and yeah. um, equally funny enough. Although one time in the pre previous job, we took out the um, fuse in a plug socket of a colleague's computer and it took them ages to figure out what was going on. My computer's not working. IT can't help. And of course, everyone's in with it. He's getting more and more frustrated. So anyone who fancies a harmless prank, <laughs> I find that you. one's particularly yeah. good. So the police service wasn't for you then? So what, you know, what oh, did you... Oh <laughs> no, that was just saving to go travelling. Like, I was there for maybe about nine months. But and you time. like travelling? When did you first start to travel? 18, uh, 18, maybe 19 by then, like I saved up some money with a friend and we were young, dumb and stupid, like going away, spending too much money, drinking too much and you like be, be like flying though, you started flying young, didn't you? <laughs> yes. yes Tell me about your early flight experience. <laughs> the first flight I got on my own uh, with one of my best friends growing up, we were 14 going to Scotland from London. So for any Americans out there, not sure, it's um, it's probably, it's an hour's flight. It's like going from New York to Buffalo. And we'd heard, my mum had been on this flight and got upgraded and we are like, oh, you'd heard if you get dressed, if you dress up really smart, you get upgraded. So we'd got like 20 pounds flights, which is about $30 flights. And it'd be a bit like going on Spirit Air and yes. hoping to get upgraded. So we spent the night like taking clothes from my sister's wardrobes to dress really smart, making homemade uh, name tag badges to, to look like we were on Adorable. a work trip, <laughs> right? And we're 14 in these like big borrowed and stolen um, clothes to make us look like business professionals. And of course we didn't, we just looked like a pair of numpties. So we get in the car, it's like 5 a.m. My mum can't quite see what we're wearing and we get out the other end. She's like, what on <laughs> earth are you two doing? Looking like like we borrowed our parents' clothes and been That's shrunken so down with these homemade badges. We're like, we're getting upgraded. And we're so, 
like so sure that Confidence. it's going to work. Yeah, we're like, we're going to upgraded. And she's like, what? You're going on like spirit air. You know, there's no chance of getting upgraded. And we're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get upgraded. We're telling them we're on a business trip, work, we're on work experience. And of course, we get to the front desk and my mum says to them, they think they might get upgraded because <laughs> <laughs> they're dressed smart on their own work experience. And the, the ladies then laughing. And when we were going in Scotland, it was like, um, I guess the project's sort of version of New York. So we get on a flight and the guy sitting next to us is looking at us and like, oh, you two, how are you two doing? Like, oh, yeah, good, we're going to visit my gran. And they're like, oh, where does she live? And when I tell him the Milton, they looked at us and went, not like she's not dressed like that, you know. <laughs> and we uh, honestly didn't get it. Now I realise how stupid we must have been. You've done that, Cody, haven't you, before, trying to get upgrades? I have. I'm not going to tell the story. Should I really? It was a few years ago and I was in Dubai heading back to uh, to New York from Australia and it was New Year's Eve and I thought, you know what, if there's any night I'm going to get an upgrade, it's got to be New Year's Eve because there'll be no one on the flight. And uh, and so I put on my my best Lululemon, and uh, which you know is very fitted clothing. And I headed up to the checking checking counter, and I said to the guy, um, "How much does it cost for an upgrade?" <laughs> and he quoted some exorbitant amount of money. And I had this you know terrific disappointed look on my face. And I I said, "Well, how many points would it be?" And I had almost zero points. He told me how many points it was, and I went, "Oh gosh." Oh, God. And, you know, three minutes later, I had an upgrade to oh business class. So. It worked. <laughs> totally oh. worked. So clearly I need to try the tight-fitted clothing and look disappointed. I'll have yeah, a go Yeah, get your Lululemon on. I'll get my Lululemon on and have a go. That's funny. That's funny. <laughs> um, interestingly, flying at 14, I think it's changed now in that my first flight internationally was with my sister. And I must have been about, I don't know, eight. She must have been about 10 or 11. And my dad put us on a TWA, that's how long ago it was, and went to see my auntie in Kansas. And we went via Chicago, just the two of us on our own. And you were 14. You just don't see young kids traveling on their own these days, which is just interesting how that's changed, really. Or maybe our parents didn't care, but... (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't imagine sending an eight-year-old on there, but for us, like... At 14, I almost felt like, yeah, I'm too old to be travelling with my parents. What are you talking about? Yeah, I can go through. So the travel bug. So when you travelled, what sort of, you know, amazing things have you done? It strikes me as that you're quite an adventurous person, that you'll throw yourself at anything. So what's the sort of scariest thing that you've done when you've been on holiday? Oh, the scariest? The scariest? Oh, I say it's kind of standard, but I guess it's not standard for people who have not done that travelling thing when they're younger, of uh, did a skydive and oh, a bungee jump. And they were both really cool. Oh, in Australia and one in New Zealand. Actually, they were both in New Zealand. Um, but after I'd done the skydive and I was so, oh, I don't know how to use the phrase without swearing. Awestruck. Awesome. <laughs> um, arrogant. Confident. Confident. <laughs> yeah, like, well, yeah, of course I can do it. Well, yeah, it's the highest one. Well, it's going to be great. And actually, I was terrified when I was up there, like shaking, terrified. And I remember that feeling. This for the bungee jump? This was for the skydive. Then when I came to do the bungee jump, I, again, was like, oh, I've done the skydive now, I'll be fine. And as soon as I got to the edge and we're in this glass box, like hung over a canyon, I just started to, oh, gosh, I use way too many curse words. (laughs) 
<laughs> I think that's normal. With a, bit of, with, a, with a sort of you know, stretchy rope at the edge of a, you know, I'd panic too. Yeah, as soon as they drop that bungee down and your ankles go, whoop, that's a weight, then you start to really panic. And you, they ask you to shimmy out on this tiny ledge and everything goes out of your periphery. And I was like, oh no, I'm gone dogs, mate. I am absolutely terrified. <laughs> And so I started trying to lean back and hold onto this guy's arm who's like, shimmy out there. He's like, Megan, you have to let go. You're endangering my life now. <laughs> so I'm then like shaking on the edge. And he he was great. He was just like, pull yourself together. I'm free. You're gonna, uh, on one, you're going to jump three, two, one. And off I jump. As I got off the, you know, I was like, oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. It was the best feeling ever. And when we got back to so the guy who like videos it and takes pictures, he made everyone in there give me a round of applause. And I was like, oh, that's very sweet. You know, they knew I was scared and, you know, clapping. And they're like, she's the person who's done the biggest jump in New Zealand. I was like, well, everyone has. It's like, no, you're the only person oh who's ever God. jumped up and off and flailed on the way down <laughs> like a chicken with my arms in the air. So they teach you, like, to dive into the abyss and everyone looked beautiful, like swans going in, lovely bird-like. And I honestly looked like a flailing chicken who had been thrown up in the air and <laughs> flew off. I think you're completely and utterly mad for doing that. And then when you're young, like, you are a bit more fearless, aren't you? And also, um, you don't want to let the team down, right? So I was there with a friend, so it's like... I can't turn back now. <laughs> I'm so, in now. So I'm gathering from this that you can be pranked and you also, if you're dead, you'll do it. So, you know, <laughs> your, your friends must have a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Prank and dare you and you'll do anything. God, I never thought of that summary, but thanks for yeah, that. Please yeah. never That's tell your, anyone. Exactly, yeah. No, <laughs> just, that bit don't worry. <laughs> Only millions of people uh, listen to this podcast. I hear that you are a voiceover artist. Let me, yeah, tell me more about that. Yes, I did do voiceovers. I actually got a voiceover agent, which will, for anyone from England, will surprise them. And for context, my there's, a, there's voice... a market for South East London. Surprisingly so. Yeah, I always thought that. Um, if you think in America the most trash accent or has the most trash uh, reputation in, in America, that's probably the equivalent to my accent in the UK. <laughs> but as Ajit said, there's surprisingly a market for it, for that voice that will talk to the nation. Sure. That it's like, well, blooming heck, if Bank of America will give you a mortgage, they'll give anyone a mortgage. Yeah, all right, I trust you. I hadn't thought of it from that perspective. <laughs> and finally, finance ones were actually well, the everyday the, the everyday product, I guess. That's where I get more um, opportunities from. Yeah, I went the first studio that I worked at, we made mood and sizzle reels, and as part of that, uh, they needed someone to record the voiceover. And if you get a very sort of shy editor to be like, hello, yes, this is Bank of America, and yeah, we'll give anyone a mortgage. You know, it's not really the most uh, enticing advert to sell into a client. So, so, so you just give me a bit of that. Give, give me an example of your <laughs> your professional voiceover, because it is, it is actually quite a skill. Most people don't realise that speaking on these sort of things. So Tag is a wonderful place to work, and the CEO is the best in the world. I can't lie. <laughs> <laughs> good point. No, good point joking. made well. I'm joking. Um, I need a bit more like a creative brief. Okay. Uh, uh, what product are we trying to sell? Uh, Is it an everyday person? Well, why am I, why am I buying into this? Exactly. You knew the daring. This is it, right? I dare you to sell me this glass of wine and why it's so beautiful and tasty. Definitely like the um, upper class wine voice would not be my bracket. <laughs> <laughs> if it was a cheap, like. Well, oh, okay, but it's cheap plonk then. Um, okay. 
God, I haven't done this right. This is really pitting on. Oh, gosh. Would you like Elias? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Expensive plonk is what Ajit would like us to sell, but... Unfortunately, my voice is much more like cheap plonk. We are some cheap plonk that gets you absolutely wasted. We'll try this. It's all right, actually. <laughs> That's very good. That's very good. Off the cuff. That's very, very... I can see, I assume that your voiceover agent didn't make a lot of money. <laughs> actually, he didn't. Well, when I first started doing them and then how I eventually got an agent was by doing them at a studio. So wow. it's for pitches. And they're like, oh, yeah, actually, she sounds all right. So I keep her on I the pitch. I can see that, yeah, yeah. And then sometimes I got a couple through from that that I got paid for and then from that got an agent and then moved to America. So Wow. And did you have you done it more recently? This summer, for anyone who knows the show Love Island, um, I had to record a line for Love Island uh, two years ago. And I was up against, I don't know if anyone knows the Scottish guy in it, Ian Sturgeon. He, uh, we got down to the final two. And wow. funny enough, wow. <laughs> the voiceover of the main show, got it. This is for the idents that come just before it. So for like the door dash, the line was get stuck into Love Island with Just Eat. I'm not going to do that oh, wow. <laughs> on my audition piece for that. But we got down to it last two. I was so excited and thinking, this is it. I'm going to be a millionaire from this dinner. <laughs> <laughs> little side hustle we got going on. Unfortunately, didn't get it. But this year they came back and said, hey, we've got some characters now coming on in this ident. Could you audition for the turtle? And I'm like, the turtle? No, it's a much more slow like drawn out Joe Holmes accent. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. I saw you two using my podcast, Julia. We did. We did. I got Joe Holmes and actually Mark Knowles as well to read in for me. But unfortunately, because they were terrible readings, that's obviously <laughs> the reason I didn't get it. So tell me about how lucky are you? Are you lucky? Are you? I am the single most luckiest person in the world. Annoyingly to all of my friends, they all call me Jammy Jackman. Oh. To a point, like it winds them up that, oh, of course you got that. Of course that happened. You know, moving to New York is absolutely one of those things. Like Jammy Jackman, Opportunity Struck, like... I don't know. If if luck is going to find someone, it finds me. And I feel, I know I sound like an arrogant... Do you play the lottery? No. <laughs> would you mind picking some numbers for me? Uh, yeah, of course I would. Oh, picking some numbers of you. Yes, I absolutely could. In Vegas, <laughs> I went to Vegas with a friend and, you know, it was all a bit of a... It started off very tragic. She was booked this whole day for a boyfriend. They'd split up. It was all very sad. So I was like, yep, I'll come with you. I had absolutely zero money. So I took out a loan to go on this trip. And we kept getting, um, you know, good things that kept happening. It was funny. That trip, we got upgraded. <laughs> but it's a premium economy. But, um, we, yeah, we had this amazing trip and lucky things kept happening. And um, we met this guy, this guy, well, a group of guys who were like, oh, come to these bars and tables with us. We had a great time then. And one was like, oh, will you come and gamble? I was like, no, nah, I can't. I'm the luckiest girl in the world. He was like, no, nah, I don't believe it. I was like, no, seriously, I'm really lucky. And he was like, all right, whatever, whatever money I make, I'll give you 20%. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. It's just fun. Like, it's fine, but I haven't got money to be going betting. Or not wasting the loan I've just taken out on betting on the risk. He's like, no, go on, we'll do it. And he was like, go on, pick a number on roulette and um well this is towards the end of the lucky lucky nights he's like go on pick a number on roulette what's your favorite number like, oh, i don't have one that was your birthday and i was like oh 15th put, he put 500 bucks on 15 and oh it so we had like this whole series of lucky night that, that actually was towards the end of it we was going so oh. you are susceptible to pranks you are 
you know, always up for dare, and you're jammy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's interesting. <laughs> so summarise it pretty how, well. How, but I'm how not much sure did you win? Uh, Seven and a half thousand dollars. Oh my god! I mean, we kept we were going on through the night and we we're betting more money and you know we're playing poker and, and what, is it craps? Is that how they say? I don't know. I, I know. You've never been to Vegas? I've been to Vegas when I gamble. It's normally simple stuff that I understand, like, um, you know, I'm 21, you know, <laughs> and all, all the slot machines. I do like to play Texas Hold'em Poken, but not in that kind of environment. I find it quite stressful. You know, people take it very seriously and they're very quick. When we're playing with friends and it's like, you know, a few dollars in the middle, then I'm okay with that, you know, but I, 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 otherwise I find it too stressful. I know you came to the... Uh, US with us, uh, with our, our brand, uh, Taylor James. So I met the owner of Taylor James on a beach in Cannes for the Cannes uh, Lions Awards. And they were practicing this speech. And I was like, well, that doesn't sound very good. And we kind of joked about that, kept bumping into him and said, oh, I'm thinking about moving my company, the company I met out, out to New York. I think they would do really well there. Like, how would we do it? And he gave me some advice and asked me, what's your EBITDA? What's your gross profit, your net profit? I was like, oh, I have no idea about any of that. He's like, you need to go on a finance course. So I went away and did a finance course and approached my boss at the time. He's like, look, I think we do really well in America. I think we should set up an office out here. And um, she was like, no, you know what? I'm happy with things, how things are. I don't want to grow. Like Things tick over lovely. Fair enough. Okay, cool. And then... I met um, the old owner in Cannes again and said, oh, hey, funny bumping into you again in a beach party in Cannes as you things do. And, and I said, oh, that you asked me, to, or you told me, you gave me that advice to go on that uh, finance course, and I did it. And immediately it was like, I'll give you a job. I'll give you a job in New York. And I'm like, yeah, all right, go on. And then he was like, no, I mean it. You, know, you have to sort out your own flights, own accommodation. You come in out and you got to prove your prove your you know, worth and if I like you I'll keep you if I don't I won't and so you really are lucky then in terms of yeah <laughs> uh, um yeah most people would uh you know not I think it links all the things I just said to you like you know you, you are someone that um will go at things um someone that will actually take it on and then and then you actually I think you make your own luck interestingly well, you know, people would say that to me I'm like no I'm just really lucky you know some people are really unlucky but I think there's a certain aspect of you've got to give it a go. Some opportunities arrive, you've just got to give it a go and say yes and see what happens. And if it all flops, it's a good story. You might be a bit embarrassed, but you can come back and say, oh my God, the most embarrassing thing happened to me. Ask anything. <laughs> this is your chance now to ask me any question that you may have. Thank you. Um, so I'd like to ask you, do you think that anyone can be a leader? Mm. Um, in, in, it's, a, it's a yes or no answer, but I think leadership is really around taking accountability, taking ownership, having a vision, you know, driving with people to a certain destination. And I think if people put their minds to it, if people are prepared to put other people first, which is, I think, one of the critical things, then I think anyone can do it. You know, I, I think some people struggle with it because they can't do some of those things. But I think if people put their mind to it, anyone can. And they're, like, particular tangible like advice that you can give? Like, is it skill sets that people need to work on? Is it attributes you need to have? That's a good question. And I think there's so many different things and there's so many amazing leaders out there. I think, yeah, cutting it down, I, I'd, I'd say the kind of... People talk about more today, and I think it's right, is they talk about the empathy element. 
I think that's critical. You know, leadership requires people, I think, to have empathy. I think leadership requires people to put other people first, which is sometimes very hard. I think those are the qualities that, you know, stand leaders out will be my, my view. Oh, thank you very much. Appreciate the answer. So I, I'd summed up a little bit earlier, but let me do it again. I think you're a, you know, you talk about how lucky you are, but I think you've made your own luck. You know, you, you tirelessly, you have a level of energy around you that I very rarely see in people. You're always delightful around the office. You're clearly going to be pranked a lot and you're, you're clearly going to get dared a lot. I hope your luck continues and I'm sure it will because I think your qualities as a person, your energy, your humour, your fun, you know, your professionalism, your go-getter is going to continue to make you the success and the, the kind of luck that you enjoy. So well done. Thank and, uh, you. Cheers. Lovely That's to really spend time with you. Thank you. Cheers. Join us soon for another episode of Tech Talks Happy Hour with Ajit Kara and learn more about the people behind the job titles at Tech.